The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. Glad you're all here today. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. And if you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible on your app, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Um, and you'll find Matthew 21 on page 612 in, in that Bible. If you have any questions, as always, we'd love for you to text those to uh, the number that's on the screen, 307-316-2023. And then we go online every Tuesday, and we answer those questions on our Facebook page. And if you don't have Facebook, you don't have to, because you can go to our website, and you can see that a little bit later in the day on our, on our media page. Um, so I'm a little bit of a, of a comic book person, and I didn't really think that I was a comic book person until really it hit me last year when I became a comic book person. Um, I'm really excited about April 26th, and for those of you who are also comic book people, April 26th maybe has a little bit of meaning for you. Um, the last few months for me as I've thought about April 26 have been both exhausting and exciting, and the more I read preview, more I read things about um, Avengers Endgame, and the more previews I watch for Avengers Endgame, I can say that I don't know that I've ever been more excited to see a movie in my entire life, and I've seen a lot of movies in my life, and I don't know that I've ever been more excited to see Avengers Endgame. Over the last 11 years, Marvel has made 11 or 21 movies, excuse me, 21 movies with a box office total of more than 18 and a half billion dollars. And after Endgame, they are scheduled to make another 8 movies until 2023. The runtime for Avengers Endgame is an exhausting 3 hours. And I think um, that's like perfect sermon time uh, for me. And John and I have had this conversation. I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with, with seeing the Avengers movies or watching the, the Marvel Universe. But the conversation that John and I have had in our home is if, if Captain Marvel flies in in the last two minutes of the movie and like kills Thanos, I think John and I are going to burn the movie theater down, right? Because like, we feel like we've got so much invested um, in, this, in this movie series and, and like I said, I, I didn't know that I had that in me until last year. I remember I was watching Avengers Infinity War, um, and I, I did not see it on open night. I saw it a, a few days after that, and I deliberately avoided all of the spoilers. And if you haven't seen by now, this is, if this is a spoiler, you'll have to get over it. Um, but I remember at the end of the movie, like when Thanos made the snap, and like I remember watching all of these characters kind of like disappear, and die, and I'm sitting there watching this, and the, when it first started happening, the thing that came out of my mouth, I literally, out loud, I said, no way, and then I started to cry. I'm like, like where did this come from? How, how possibly could I have been like, invested in these characters um, like this? It just didn't, uh, just didn't make any sense to me. Um, like Crying at Star Wars, I can understand, but for an Avengers movie, like I was, I was sitting in the back of the theater and I was weeping and I was like, wow, this is, this is really kind of embarrassing. Um, but the anticipation for this movie is, 
is incredible. When the first trailer was released in December, so just a few months ago, it was viewed 289 million times in the first 24 hours. And it set a record on Twitter with 549,000 mentions. When tickets went on sale just a few weeks ago on April 2nd, Regal Cinema reported that Endgame sold more tickets in the first eight hours for Avengers Endgame than Infinity War did in its entire first week. So there is like such an amazing amount of anticipation for this. And I think it's going to live up uh, to the hype. So on April 26th, um, I don't want you to call me. I don't want you to email me. I don't want you to come to my house. Like, Team Mulholland is closed on April 26th. Maybe you think that's a little too far, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited for this. And I think as I ponder that level of excitement, I think about how easy it is for us to be excited about things that ultimately, that ultimately don't matter. It's a movie, right? It has no ultimate meaning. And I, and I wonder, though, the other side of that, maybe, maybe excitement for, for the wrong things isn't, um, isn't our problem, um, but maybe boredom for the right things is our problem. Maybe we get bored over, over the right things, especially when it comes to things of faith. A couple weeks ago at Summit, um, Summit Christian College, Domingo Torres gave, gave the devotional about, about how easy it is for us to be, to be bored with God. Maybe you've heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. And I think that's true. I think familiarity does breed contempt. But I think there are a few other things that feed that contempt, laziness, and disinterest. When it comes to Scripture, I think an unwillingness for us to, in, to engage um, God's story feeds that discontent, feeds that um, familiarity, breeds contempt that we, that we feel. And today's, today's Palm Sunday, and I'm sure a lot of us in the room have heard this story like a million times, Right? Jesus rides in on the donkey, all the people are waving palm branches and they're throwing their clothes on the ground and all this stuff is going on and we've heard that story before and at some point, like we all are tempted, if we were reading that story in scripture, which we're going to do in a minute, but at some point we're all, we're all tempted to kind of just start thinking to ourselves, blah, 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 we've heard all this story before, there's nothing new for me here and I actually think that Easter um, Easter, the Easter story is even worse than Palm Sunday. Jesus is betrayed by a friend. He's whipped and he's beaten and he's crucified. And on the third day, he rises again. And I think some of us are just like, oh, man. Can we just can we go, go look for Easter eggs or something? Like, can we just go and, and not hear the same story that we've heard over and over and over again? The interesting thing about Palm Sunday is it's one of the few scenes that's actually found in all four of the Gospels. So it was important enough for each one of the Gospel writers to document, which means that it ought to be important, for, important enough for us to read and understand. And in a second, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a version of the story that condenses all four Gospels into one. 
So I did tell you to, or I did ask you to go to Matthew 21. So that's that's kind of the baseline version of of the of the story. And while I'm reading, like if you see something that doesn't quite match up, I would encourage you to look at the other gospel accounts that are um, that are listed for Palm Sunday, and you'll find that in your bulletin. So all four of them are listed in your bulletin. But what I'm going to read is is kind of an amalgamation of all four of those accounts. And before we do that, let's pray. God, I ask that we would we would have ears to hear. That we would have eyes eyes to see what you have for us this morning. That we would not we would not count your story as as unworthy of our interest, regardless of how many times we've heard it. God, may we not count this this story as one of uninterest and disinterest. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them and will return with them soon, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded, so they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? The disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. Jesus was in the center of the procession. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles they had seen, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish that all of you people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. The entire city of Jerusalem was in uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. 
And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Why were the people so excited? And I confess, I, I was falling into that place where I'd, I'd heard and read this story a number of times. We prepped for, for today and we prepped for next Sunday for Easter conversation. Like, what's... We've, we've all heard this. Why, why were the people so excited? What would, what would cause them to respond in this way to Jesus? And then I did some other reading, and we're going to post these texts on the screen here in a second. But ultimately, the, the answer to the question, they were excited because they had expectations of their Savior. The Messiah was coming, what they had been told from from the earliest days of of their own history that one would come and save them so they had these expectations and jesus literally checked off every single box for them had like a little checklist in their mind and jesus was checking off all of the boxes the blind saw the lame walked the lepers were healed the dead were raised from the dead and the good news was being preached to the poor but where did all of those ideas come from? How did, they, how did they have those expectations? How would they have known that that's what the Messiah was going to do? And that's where, for me, as I was thinking about this day, what, what needed to be proclaimed, I pulled out one of my Bibles that has a lectionary in it, and if you're if you're from, if you're from uh, like a Catholic background or an Orthodox background, a lectionary is kind of like daily readings for the day. So I looked at the lectionary for, for today, and I was, I was taken to three texts. And I just want to read them to you this morning. And again, they're going to be on the screen. The first is from Genesis 49. Then Jacob called together all his sons and said, Gather around me and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. Come and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that's finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. See, this is Jesus' tribe. Judah. He ties his foal to a grapevine, the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth are whiter than milk. Here's Zephaniah, 
3, verses 14 to 20. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last, your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement of to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid. Can you feel the excitement building in this text? For the Lord, your God, is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be disgraced no more, and I will deal severely with all who have oppressed you. I will save the weak and helpless ones. I will bring together those who are chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles, wherever they have been mocked and shamed. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among all the nations of the earth. And I rest- as I restore your fortunes before their very eyes, I, the Lord, have spoken. Like there's so much going on here. There's so much excitement and anticipation. And I, like, as I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, this is really kind of awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this desire of, of what God wants for his people to come back to him. And that's only going to come when the Messiah comes. There's one more text. It's Zechariah 9, 9 to 17. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. See, that's where that comes from when we read that in Matthew. It comes from the Old Testament. I'll remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I'll destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood. I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who have hope. I promise this very day that I'll repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Judah is my bow, and Israel is my arrow, and Jerusalem is my sword, and like a warrior, I will brandish it against the Greeks. Imagine what this would have been like. The Lord will appear above his people. His arrows will fly like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the ram's horn and attack like a whirlwind from the southern desert. The Lord of heaven's armies will protect his people. They will defeat their enemies by hurling great stones. They will shout in battle as though drunk with wine. They will be filled with blood like a bowl, drenched with blood like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will rescue his people just as a shepherd rescues his sheep. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. See, this, the author of this is he's talking about the people, of what God is going to do for them. How wonderful and beautiful they'll be. The young men will thrive on abundant grain and the young women will flourish on new wine. So I was reading through all of this like there was, I, just, I couldn't be contained. And I think as soon as I was done with that text, I talked to Shane. I said, so this is what we're going to talk about on this day. 
Because this is so exciting and so much anticipation, so many things to look forward to. So what the people imagined Jesus doing on that Sunday is he's riding into town on a donkey. They anticipated, they expected that he was going to go right into Jerusalem and he was going to ascend the throne to reign forever. That was their expectation. See, they actually believed this. They actually thought this was true. And what was happening right in front of their eyes was the thing that they had imagined for thousands of years. The Romans would be dispersed forever and their troubles would be over. The weak and the helpless and the exiled would return to Israel. The weapons of war would go away. The people would be blessed. The prisoners would be set free. The enemies would be defeated. And all of them would have been wearing little red hats that said, Israel made great again. But here's what happened instead. Instead of that, Jesus went to the temple and he turned over the tables. All week long, he had his authority challenged by the priests and the leaders. He told them that the temple itself would be destroyed and he was the Messiah, but he was after a change of heart. He was after a change of loyalty. He was after the death of their preference and their power and their place and their position. And that's why he wept over them because he knew the very thing that he had to offer to them, they were completely uninterested in. See, they didn't want the change of heart. They just wanted to be on top again as a nation. That was their desire. They didn't want the change of heart. They didn't want to be a new people. They didn't want a new king. They just, wanted their, they just wanted their spot back. And it is in those unmet expectations of who the Messiah was. That's why we find that the people that cry crucify him on Friday had just a few days earlier welcomed him as Lord cried Hosanna, looking for him. And this is where our story collides with their story. Because I think that for us, we are far too domesticated to cry out for Jesus' crucifixion. We're far too tame for that. But when life doesn't go our way, don't we ignore him? Don't we turn our back on him? Or when life does go our way, Don't we ignore him then, too? Because we don't need him anymore. For so many of us, hardship drives us to him. And the minute the light at the end of a tunnel, like we recognize that that's not a train coming after us, we, we know that it truly is a light, we cast him aside. And I think familiarity with Jesus indeed brings contempt. Because far too many of us worship a tame Jesus, a neutered Jesus, a weakened Jesus. And then we feed that contempt that we have for him with boredom and disinterest. We allow so many other things to take priority in our lives. 
So many other things become more important. And again, we're, we're excited about the wrong things and we're bored with the right ones. And we become like those who, who welcomed Jesus 2,000 years ago, praising him, but not, not for who he was, not for what he ultimately and truly came to do, but we worship him and we praise him and we talk about him because, because we want to see a change in our life circumstances. And when he fails to meet those expectations, we, we cast him aside. And for us, what we, what we need to do is we need to be reminded constantly of who Jesus is, of why he came, of what his purpose was. His role as Messiah was not to merely be an earthly deliverer. Because even the people that Jesus raised from the dead, they would physically die again. The people that Jesus physically healed, they were going to die. So Jesus has much more for us. And there's a lot of people that settle for that Jesus. There's a lot of people who find satisfaction in the Jesus that does something for me, gives something to me. And we settle for that. And I said, said this a few weeks ago, for, for a lot of us, I think we'd, we'd rather have a change in our circumstance than, than, than seeing how Jesus can deliver us through our circumstance. And those are two very different things. Author Jonathan Merritt recently wrote this, God does not intend to meet our expectations. Instead, he meets our needs. God is out to meet our needs. He's not out to meet our expectations. And I, I absolutely know that there are so many of us that have like real hardship and real challenges in our lives. Things that make it seem impossible, like we can't even get through, forget the day. We can't even make it through the next hour in our lives. And the reality is that we we need to stop settling for anything but the fullness of what Christ has to offer us. Because when we find satisfaction in, in delivery from illness or from our financial problems or a new job, like those things are all going to go away. And what Jesus is after, what God is after, is offering us the fullness and the reality of Christ in our lives. And if this sounds familiar to you, I, I've shared before, like I think I have three sermons and this is one of those three. We, God is calling us to find fullness and satisfaction in him. And all of our other pursuits are empty. And we know this. We know this. Even if it takes 10 years, we know this. If not in our own lives, certainly in the lives of other people as we see them continuously pursue other things. And nothing is ever enough. Tradition has it that, that Martin Luther was once asked, why, why do you preach the gospel every single week? Why do you preach the gospel every single week? And Martin Luther's response was, because each week you come in here and you look like you don't believe it. Jesus is after the fullness. 
Jesus is all there is. And the sooner that that's ingrained in each one of us, the sooner that our lives are going to be transformed by him, and the sooner our thoughts and our words and our deeds are going to mirror his. Erwin Ince says this, If we're going to endure through the chaos of life as Christians, what has to be in view is how glorious Jesus is. And that's what Palm Sunday is about. The gloriousness of Jesus. Jesus is the glorious prophet, the full, complete, and final word of God. Jesus is not just one of the prophets. He's the heir of all things. He has an inheritance. His inheritance is the whole world. He came to lay claim to the entire world as his own possession because he is the one through whom the whole world was created. He's the glorious radiance and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the glorious priest. He came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came as the offering and the offerer. He's the great high priest who offered himself as the only one who could crush sin. As he was beaten and whipped, as the blood was flowing from his head, his hands, his feet, purification was being made for the sins of everyone who puts their trust in him. And when he was done, he sat down next to God because the work was finished and there no longer remains any need for any other sacrifice of sin. And lastly, Jesus is the glorious king. He sat down next to the Father at his right hand as supreme king and judge. There's truly no area of existence over which he does not have absolute authority. This is meant to be a comfort to those who believe and a warning to those who don't. There's only one way to endure and to thrive as a Christian, and that way begins with having a clear view of the glory of Jesus Christ the glorious prophet who declares God's final word to us, the glorious priest who purifies us, and the glorious king who rules over and protects us. And that's what we're talking about today. This glorious King Jesus who rode into town on a donkey to change lives, to not bring temporary satisfaction, but to change lives. And the more I talk with people, the more I am convinced that what's needed is a changed life. That's what's needed. doesn't mean all of your hardships are going to go away, but transformation offered through Jesus Christ, is that's the answer. I hope, I pray that Jesus is your Lord. Let's pray. God, we are here to proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's not just the mission of Westway Christian Church. It's the mission of anyone who claims to be a follower of your son Jesus, is to proclaim you as Lord. God, when we have allowed other things to excite us more than that, I ask that you would forgive us, that you would convict us of our sin, that we would see our need for you, that we would see that you're doing more than 
than physically setting captives free. You are spiritually setting captives free. You are spiritually delivering people. And there's a room full of people right here in Scott's Bluff that have been delivered by you, that are a testimony to that very thing. So why would we settle for anything but? God, we want to proclaim you as Lord. We want to proclaim you as ruler over all things, as deliverer, as our prophet, our priest, and our king. It's in your son, son's name we pray, and he is that prophet, priest, and king. Amen.